Hello and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast, what turns out to be one of several podcasts on the internet about cars in movies and TV and things. We're becoming increasingly less unique <laughs> as time goes on. Well, I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> More on that in a moment. I'm Chris Ratcliffe. I'm with Martin Spain as ever. And rather than today in history, we're going to start today with a listener email. Um, which I've just realised I've put in the show notes as reader's email, um, which would be an <laughs> That's interesting because trick. you're showing your age, aren't you? I'm going to go some, <laughs> to some reader's letters now. <laughs> We've had an email from Stephen Boyce, and it's a fantastic email. Let me read it. Greetings from one of the American country rednecks. I've been enjoying your podcast for a while. Cars and movies, what could be better? I have just listened to the Dukes of Hazard review, and yes, the movie is not good. The cars look great, love the drift, but the movie failed to capture the down home of the show. Yes, I I appreciate that I never sound more English than when I use expressions like down home. Well, at first I feel really bad that he's like, yeah, so <laughs> this is when you mock all of us redneck country hillbillies, <laughs> and now I feel guilty that one of them's listening and has taken the time to write us uh, an email. So I apologise for our blatant stereotyping of, of many Americans who are all wonderful people. They are, especially, uh, especially in the South where I have many fond memories. Um... That being said, you mentioned the paint colour of the General Lee. This was the VinWiki. Oh I yeah, think, this is video. where it was TNT orange. Is that right? Yes, apparently. I would like to refer you to the. I'm going to mispronounce this. Kibby and Friends podcast, episode 165, for the facts about this bogus video on YouTube. Ooh. Owning a General Lee myself in 1970 V2 Hemi orange. This is my favourite colour version. Also accepted is Corvette Flame Red and Big Bad Orange. Right, let's just stop there for a second. If you own a General Lee, God bless you. That is one exceptionally cool car to own. Also, whoever named a colour Big Bad Orange, I'm hoping deserves, got some sort of pay rise out of it. Yeah, that was a good day's work. I, I guess this is calling us up on insisting that it's TNT Orange, when in fact, like all of these things, I think you'll find it's actually a number of different shades. This is going to be like, yes. you know, the, the, the thing where we reveal the, the depth or lack thereof to our research on these things. But I, I love it because it's it's taking that thing to the nth degree, which is what people on the internet do, um, including yes. ourselves sometimes. But, you know, yep. issue, issuing a correction on the car colour is wonderful. So we do thank you for your for your letter. Not letter. Wait. <laughs> we <laughs> your do, email. We so, do thank you for the email and letting us know that there is, in fact, more than one accepted orange for the General Lee and agreeing with us <laughs> for the fact that the Dukes of Hazzard movie was a big pile of cack. We do have to add as well, just carrying on Stephen's email, there is an entire 220 plus episode podcast just for the Dukes of Hazard here in the United States called The Kibbe and Friends Show. And they go really deep into cars and movie cars, especially the General Lee. You can add them to the list of three car movie podcast channels. <laughs> oh Thanks God. for the entertainment, Stephen Boyce. So thank you so much, Stephen. That's 220 episodes. Yes. We're on episode 52 and we keep promising <laughs> that we'll do these more regularly. And then I keep going, I oh, know I'm tired or I'm sick or I'm moving house or some other excuse to Chris. Life just gets in the way. Yeah. So uh, well, we're on episode 52. So we are just under a 
quarter of the way there. I'm not sure we can get 220 episodes. We'd have to start going back to stuff. We'd have to start reviewing like shots at a time for an entire episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if there are any movies you do want us to go back and have another run at or maybe do a bit more in depth, because I think we might have skipped through some in the past a little bit quick, do... Drop us a tweet or an email. Uh, All the details will be at the end of the show. However, since our last episode, there has been news going on. There's been lots of news, actually. And let's start with something that happened this weekend just gone. One of our favourite YouTube series to date, which was Michael Fassbender's Road to Le Mans. That's the one. Yep. Michael Fassbender was actually at Le Mans this weekend just gone. Yep, I, I watched all of this this year, more or less all of this year's Le Mans. I managed to wangle just having it on on the TV in the living room in the background, despite my wife having lots of her friends over for drinks and, and so on. I just kind of staked my claim on the living room and the couch while they went outside and just, oh, Le Mans is on. Um, and I'm just going to leave it on there because now I've made it stream from my iPad to the TV and I don't want to touch anything in case it stops working, <laughs> which is a brilliant excuse that let me keep it on the whole day. So I watched most of what was actually quite a dull and not processional, but bland vanilla Le Mans race. No rain, barely any safety cars and hardly any competition in the top class. Made it a little less exciting. Uh, I did watch with great interest all of the GT racing. Um, I watched I watched Michael Fassbender's driving in quali and he had a and he had a moment where it just the car just seemed to swap ends with with no warning that I think turned out to be a brake issue and thought ah oh, that's not what you need and then in the race I think someone took them out uh, I seem to remember seeing it cut to the 93 car which is the fast bender car run by Proton Dempsey Racing Dempsey yeah uh, and it just it, someone just Drove into the side of them by the looks of things. I didn't get get a good replay, but it didn't seem like it was the driver at fault, which I, mm. I, I think when we when you watch Fassbender, and we've talked before about how much he's trying to compress racing learning into a very short space of time. I think, A, they took part, so they got there. B, yep. I don't believe he was last. C, I believe they finished. Yes. So I'm going to call that a win, frankly. Definitely. Getting to the yeah. end of your first Le Mans it's got to be terrifying. It's you know, three times as long as any of the other circuits he's raced at. It's very particular. He's, I don't know if he's ever raced a night. Um, I don't know if he did any night laps or any night quali, but it's such a huge challenge. It's such a huge step up. I really want him to come back. I really, really mm. want him to come back. Maybe that Porsche don't keep doing Road to Le Mans as a series from now on, but I would love to see him come back again and have a chance to build on that. But yes, Le Mans, you know, Toyota won for the fifth time in a row. Yawn, don't care. Next year <laughs> is the year to go when actual competition and manufacturers turn up and Porsche go, yeah, we, we've seen you had five victories. We've got 18 and we just want to put it a bit further out of reach. <laughs> also, sidebar, I really enjoyed the fact that the Corvettes had the good grace to crash out and let Porsche win GTE Pro. Sorry, Corvette fans. <laughs> so, yes, I watched Le Mans. I watched F1. What else has been going on? Oh, yeah, because of all this Formula One is brilliant, Drive to Survive has made it have a huge US audience, there is now going to be a Formula One racing movie with Brad Pitt Apparently. in it. Apparently. Well, so this is, going, this is kind of interesting. So it, it's Brad Pitt's production company, Plan B, has apparently signed a deal with Apple Originals to produce an F1 movie. What makes this really interesting for me is that if you look at who's involved, Lewis Hamilton, 
is one of the producers who and he apparently has done some work on some short films previously. I thought, hasn't he stressed he's actually going to be involved in the script? Which to me sounds... Wow. It makes me wonder, okay, I, I think this could go one of two ways. It could be really, really good. It could be like Rush good, which is our basically the gold standard of single-seater racing movies is Rush. And Rush is a teeny bit rough around yep. the edges, but still a great movie that does yep. justice to the two subjects, Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. There's where you're aiming at, really. And I worry that Lewis Hamilton will be interviewed to say, give us some racing terms. And he'll go, right, well, when they go in the pits, you say box, box, box. And when you want them to go fast, they say it's hammer time. And then, you know, when the other team cheats with bendy wings and so on, then you wind to the media. And that's, and that's, that's it. That's, I, that's, that's it. Pass. Yeah, that's the script. Done. And that's his involvement. Now, I would love to be proven wrong, but mm. racing movies have a checkered <laughs> checkered history in, hey. in, in film. For every Grand Prix... Or Le Mans, there's a driven, and as a as a sometime one time defender of driven, it's shit. And this has the possibility of being shit because news outlets are reporting that Brad Pitt, at the age of fifty eight, might well be the Formula One driver coming out of retirement to help a rookie on his way to becoming a full-fledged Formula One title contestant. And, you know, shout and stick your hand up. If if you've heard that before, that sounds like the plot of whatever it is, 2000-somethings driven, where Sylvester Stallone plays Joe Tanto, who comes out of retirement to help rookie sensation Jimmy Bly. (laughs) Um, To something that may not be the Formula One world title, honest. So... What I'm really hoping about is if you if you look at who's involved, so you've got Lewis Hamilton for one, you've got Joseph Kaczynski, who's just directed Top Gun Maverick, more on that in a moment. And has done a bunch of other awesome movies. I really enjoyed his Tron Legacy. I really, yeah. really enjoyed uh, Oblivion that he also did with Tom Cruise. That's If you've not seen that, it's a stunning looking movie and one of the rare sci-fi originals that we've had recently that isn't kind of based off of a book or off of some comic book property. I think it's, it's a, it's Mm. a really interesting film and, and played really, really well. So if you haven't seen that, do check that out. This is the thing, the talent involved has a great track record. I love that track record. We're all, we're still on talking on racing terms Um, because (laughs) Brad Pitt doesn't, when he gets involved to produce movies, they tend to be quite good. And he's mm. quite selective about what he stars in. If you think about something like Moneyball, for example, he plays a brilliant role in that. Or, um, oh, shitballs, the one about finance. <laughs> Can't remember what it's called. Bollocks. Well, it was, it, what, the big short? Big short, that's right. Yeah, if he has that kind of energy, I'd far rather him be a team advisor than a, an ex, or, you know, like an ex-driver, but he doesn't have to get in a drive. He just brings that, yeah. that kind of grizzled old guy energy. That I'm really interested in because Brad Pitt playing his age and playing slightly quirky, offbeat roles is the best Brad Pitt. You know, think about the best Brad Pitt roles. It's the stuff where he does something unexpected. That, you know, Mm. he's the 12 Monkeys or um, the Fight Club and so on and so on. It's those kind of roles that I'm interested in seeing him in now. So this... Uh, we've got to reserve judgment. I'm I'm being deliberately mean for comic effect, but... 
well, let's see, let's see how this pans out. Apple have been quite choosy about what things they do as originals, what things they buy and what things they fund. They're kind of like the streaming version of HBO in that sense. There's an awful yes. lot of Apple originals on Apple TV that are excellent. The After Party is a, a comedy series that I really, really enjoyed on there. There's been a bunch of other stuff on there that's really interesting. They, they're doing... Um, an adaptation of the Foundation sci-fi series, which is looks mega. It's completely impenetrable, but it's it's high quality <laughs> stuff. So I signs point to this not being terrible, but we'll reserve judgment until we hear a bit more news. What else has been going on? I see on the show notes you have a thing that says F1 US rights see a bidding war brewing dot dot dot. Yeah. So this is reported from thedrive.com, where apparently the rights for F1 which have been maybe not undervalued in the past, but have always been, I think, a bit second tier behind things like IndyCar and NASCAR and things like that, are really sort of starting to be in demand. The current rights holder, which I think is ESPN, ESPN want to renew it. Netflix apparently are interested in capitalising on Drive to Survive and actually showing the races as well as See, the See, I think this would be a great idea. I would love more sports to be using streaming platforms' expertise. However, it is one thing to stream content that you have pre-recorded and seeded to all your CDNs, and it's another thing, it's another thing entirely to live stream with the same quality. So you know, Netflix, I don't know if they have this kind of experience and technical knowledge and know-how on doing live streaming of events. Amazon do football and some tennis, I believe. Yep. Apple are doing baseball on Apple TV. So there's a lot of people around probably sniffing around these rights now that would not have been doing so before Drive to Survive made F1 in the United States. Apparently ESPN has so far bid $70 million. That seems ridiculously cheap. What I find interesting about this is that we're having a discussion about TV rights because I thought that Liberty would be looking to take those rights back as the current contracts expire. So you get over the air through, um, not over the air, over the top on the F1 TV app and they maybe produce or distribute or something the kind of the um the broadcast version they could still do that well that's why that's why i wonder if the amounts are lower than we might expect because i mean it was always sky's kind of tactic and i know that bt and others in the uk have followed which is you pay through the nose for those big marquee sports and then that drives your subscriber base. And, you know, Amazon have said the same thing with Prime is they will keep making the Grand Tour, for example, as long as it keeps bringing them subscribers. And keeping them subscribers. Uh, F1 is still trying to recover the money that it lost through COVID, I would imagine. And and so it could be that this is all part of that. But it'll be an interesting one to see what comes of it. Obviously, it doesn't have an effect on on you and me because we live in the UK and Sky, I think, have the rights to like 2024 or even 2026. But in the future, this may have more of a bearing on how the next bidding war for the when the UK rights are up goes down. And obviously, we have friends and listeners who are in the US who are F1 fans and, you know, this may directly impact at the end of next year unless you're watching a hooky feed on the internet. <laughs> one last quick one. There was a story on, again, on the drive, that Sony is in the process of making a Gran Turismo TV show. 
And this was announced as part of uh, an earnings call that they were trying to sort of develop some of their properties into TV and movie um, things. You know, uh, let's say franchises. Franchise isn't the right word. But um, they're basically trying to capitalise on the properties that they've got. How on earth you do a Gran Turismo TV show, I don't know. But somebody, God bless them, has made an entire uh, episode of um, Best Motoring with the entire thing filmed in Gran Turismo. I know, and it's brilliant because it is, it's, it's, so as, it's the most Best Motoring it's possible to be. There's an R34 Skyline. There's, uh, I don't know, the, an you'll RX have to forgive 7. me. There's an RX-7. There's a Supra, like the old, the proper Supra, not the new one. Um, there's an Evo. There's an old shape yep. NSX in gold. Ah, oh, it's... It's glorious. And, you know, I'm in the tank for anything to do with best motoring. I love this. <laughs> as far as a Gran Turismo movie goes, or a, even a TV series, there was an old report about this that was announced way back in 2013, where they wanted to basically kind of tell the story of the GT Academy, which is Sony sponsoring sim gamers effectively back in the day, PlayStation gamers, and seeing if they could actually become real racing drivers. And uh, at least two drivers that I can cite from memory, Lucas Ordonez and... Um, Jan Mardenborough, yes, both of whom, Jan in particular, like 100% super talented racing drivers. Jan Mardenborough is is unholy talented. Uh, And I kind of wish he didn't get his chance at Le Mans with the abortive Nissan attempt in 2016 that was just so dreadfully embarrassing. You know, he should be racing, in an ideal world, he'd be racing a Nissan GTR GT3 car in the new GT3 in Le Mans next year. We don't live in an ideal world, unfortunately, but I think they want to tell that story. That's one story you could tell with Gran Turismo. The other story could be a story of relentlessly grinding around a circuit constantly to get paid just (laughs) enough money that you can go and buy a better car to relentlessly grind around another circuit for 24 hours to get paid just enough money that you can upgrade and put a Stage 4 turbo on it so that you can drive from the start of the track and aim at the car in the lead because you don't get to qualify. You start at the back so you just put a stage four turbo on it and no other upgrades and then you just what i have termed gran turismo cornering where you just nail the guy in the lead in the door to get him out of the way and use him as a brake which then slows you down enough to make the first corner at which point you crawl around the corners until you hit a straight and then you engage your stage four turbo and win the race Sorry, that's how I played Gran Turismo for years and years and years. They've stopped you doing that now. The new Gran Turismo starts off really easily and has got super hard and you can't just Gran Turismo into somebody at the first corner. It's taking the fun out of it. Do you still have to buy cars that you've never heard of? Like You get given... the cappuccino and the yeah, and I don't know, that was the part Suzuki of the pe- turnip or something. That was part of the appeal for me. Was getting all these random K cars, and and this is where we all heard about Toms and Mines and mm. all of those amazing Japanese tuning houses, and you still get some of that. Uh, yes, I haven't I haven't played it for like two or three weeks because I've been so like busy with work and stressed and stuff, so that I haven't actually turned it on. Uh, I've also got thus far in Gran Turismo 7 where it stopped being about, hey, I can just buy any car and tune it up to mad levels and beat everyone easily, and it's now started <laughs> to be about having actual talent and they've put limitations on how much turbo boost you can use, uh, where oh. I kind of, my interest dro- drops precipitously when it requires actual <laughs> finesse. Uh, but uh, yes, anyway... 
a Gran Turismo movie and or TV show. I won't hold my breath if I'm honest, but you know, good on Sony for trying to make the best out of their IP. Right, let's move on very quickly because we've been talking for like 25 minutes now and we haven't got on to what have we been watching? Subtitle Top Gun Motherfuckers. We're going to change gears, if you like, or we're going to engage... We're switching to guns. We're we're switching... I was going to say we're engaging afterburners and we're going to become the Aero Movie Podcast. Oh, very good. Do you like what I did there? I've been sat on that for like (laughs) two weeks since I saw Top Gun. So, yeah, we're going to... Let's face it, there's not a great deal of car content in Top Gun Maverick. There is... I think there's a Porsche 911 in silver at the end. That's no spoilers. We're going to try and stay from spoilers. There's a... A 74 911S, which looks awesome. It does look awesome. Did you spot the Aston Martin? No, I did not. Where was that? In Maverick's shed, under the wall of motorbikes, is tucked away an Aston Martin DB... No, it's not a DB1. It's a DBR1. It's the Le Mans... Oh, really? Prototype oh, thing. cool. I'm going to see this again this weekend because my wife was sick and couldn't come to see it with uh, with me and my son. So we went to see it on our own and came back like bouncing off the walls because, spoiler alert, Top Gun Maverick is fucking awesome. It is easily the best cinema experience I have had in years. And I know we're preaching to the choir with a lot of you people. Um, yes, it doesn't have cars in it, but it has jet planes going super fast. And the aerial <laughs> footage is, it takes what you saw in the original Top Gun and then just squares it. You know, you have yep. real actors in real jets pulling real Gs. It's stunning. It's as good a sequel as we could ever have hoped for. And it's a joy to go back to the cinema to see something like this. So I will... I, I, there's loads and loads of videos out there because they, they've, they've done a huge press blitz on this. Oh, so God, yes. we're going to link a few in the show notes. There's a there's there's one where you can hear the aerial coordinator describing how they captured some of the, the, the air-to-air shots. Uh, there's a fantastic podcast where you can hear one of the pilots who is involved describe what it's like to do some of the low-flying stunts. Um, he oh, wow. is he's one of the Blue Angels, the formation team in the US, uh, and they are all they're they're basically the American Red Arrows, only not as good because they're American. <laughs> and there's only four of them. Fair. And <laughs> I'm being extraordinarily mean. The Blue Angels are exceptional flyers, and so if you want to get, if you want to have the most exceptional of low-level flyers who else would you ask so there's a really good podcast which i'll find a link and put in the show notes too that talks about that if you've seen top gun maverick you'll want to check out some of the stuff in these links on how they did some of this and if you haven't seen Mm. it get yourself to the nearest imax (laughs) and i promise you it's worth seeing an imax get yourself there it is the best cinema experience you're going to have this year i'll go out on a limb and say it is going to be the best thing you're going to see on a screen this year I have to admit, I still have not watched the original Top Gun. What the fuck is wrong with you? I can't believe you've not seen the original. This movie must have meant nothing to you. Who's that guy? And it works beautifully without you knowing, but God damn it. There is a brilliant movie out there on a really good 4K disc that you have not seen. You probably know all the quotes and moments and the soundtracks, but you won't have sat there in the dark when you hear the 80s Bong, synth Bong. note at the start. You won't have had goosebumps because you've got no fucking idea what that whole intro is about. So, no, no, but this is the thing, right? As somebody who hasn't watched it at all... Have you seen Hot Shots? Maybe once a long time See, ago. Because you, you've seen the parody movie before you've seen yes. the actual movie. How is it possible 
that you have seen fucking what's that 90s acid raven drugs movie you love so much that you're always going on about oh, human traffic yeah, how can you have seen that like a billion times when it's gash <laughs> and you haven't seen top gun but i just don't understand how you can have grown up in the 80s and not seen top gun what's wrong with you you need to address this before the next episode i want to see do. you need to have, you, want have to, you, you want me to do my homework yes good Good Lord. Anyway, if, uh, now I've finished remonstrating with Christopher, having let the side down badly by revealing he hasn't actually seen the original Top Gun movie. Um, we've got some links in the show notes for Tom Cruise yeah. versus Christopher Nolan, the battle for the best IMAX stunts. That's a hard call because I think that Chris McQuarrie mm. has been doing a lot of the Mission Impossible stunts in IMAX. Um, yeah. And the stuff that Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie cook up for the Mission Impossible movies is insane, and we have to come to those movies in future episodes of the podcast. There's some stuff about IMAX and whether it's worth it and how it works, which I haven't watched. Um, and then there's Tom Cruise talking F1 flying and Top Gun with the Channel 4 F1 team. This, I think, was recorded when they thought they might be able to release the movie last year because they filmed a, uh, a, like a promo thing with David Coulthard and Mark Webber in Porsche 911s going around Silverstone, I seem to remember. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was recorded and they broadcast it, but then they didn't release Top Gun Maverick. So <laughs> it felt a bit weird and kind of isolated. We've got Tom Cruise here, but he doesn't actually have a movie he can show you right now <laughs> because you're all still wearing masks and staying at home. And to be fair, Indeed. they made absolutely the right call to wait until the movie going yes. public was more comfortable about going to the cinema again so that they could get bums on seats because they're absolutely right. This would have been dreadful to see for the first time streaming in your living room down, oh, you know, like kind of you know, a compressed bitrate stream from Netflix or Amazon or whoever. It would have just sucked. Have you noticed as well just how many people that you know or that you interact with have all gone to see Top Gun? It's... It's, it's a universal first... viewing experience. It's one of the first ones I can think of, except maybe things like Avengers Endgame and, and Infinity mm. War that people saw in the cinemas. But even then, I'm trying to think back to another movie that had such a similar, Im like, broad impact to... to uh, everyone said, you have to go and see this movie. Yeah. One of the ones we're going to be reviewing shortly... I can remember this having a similar word-of-mouth effect. Smaller marketing campaign, Top Gun Maverick, True. we've been knowing that's coming for years and years and years, but I can remember the movie we're going to review, which we won't reveal right now, but we'll, we'll get to it in a second, um, <laughs> had a similar kind of everyone would tell you, you've got to go and see this thing, it's amazing. Mm. I'm, I'm struggling to think of another movie in the modern time that has had such a universal, maybe Avatar, where everyone said, you have to go and see it in 3D. The 3D is astonishing. And they were right. I loathe 3D in movies, but the 3D for <laughs> Avatar, when you give it to a filmmaker who knows how to use the tools and the technology yeah. available to him, how to use 3D to genuinely give you another dimension, another dimension, another dimension. <laughs> um, pay close attention. <laughs> Very good. If you get that reference, you are old. And you uh, took drugs and listened to listened to rubbish music yes, in the 90s. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but yes, that was probably the last time I can think of it being universally, you have to see this in a cinema. S somebody did say, is Tom Cruise saving cinema? Because before Top Gun came on, there was the, the trailer in IMAX for the new Mission Impossible. And Which I haven't seen... Awesome! Sorry, I'm eating Rolos. It is 
unbelievable. That is how you make a trailer. Tell me nothing about the film or the plot, but show me lots of cool visuals that make me want to know more about that movie. I am totally in the tank. Tom Cruise running. (laughs) Yeah, I'm totally in the tank for the Mission Impossible movies. I have loved all of them, yes, even Mission Impossible 2. Which is the only one I've watched. Oh, dear God. Right, we're going to do these. Biscuit on the soundtracks. No, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh lots of Oakleys. Oakleys No, 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 and more no. (laughs) But think that's a franchise that's been run. If you'd have shown me that first one, said this movie is going to continue. This this series is going to keep being made twenty years later, and there's going to be a bit where Tom Cruise clings to the outside of an aeroplane while it's taking off for (laughs) fucking real. I'd have looked at you like you're insane. Yeah, but it's it's amazing. They are, I think, the way that he and particularly the way he and Christopher McQuarrie, who's the director uh, of the last two Mission Impossible movies and the next two, and has been writing a lot of Tom Cruise movies, whether the sole writer or a co-collaborator among them. He's been working with Tom Cruise for years decades even now and they work really well together about knowing how to sell moments that will work in cinema film moments hero moments call them what you will they just they work together really well and it's it almost allows you to forget how strange tom cruise has been as a human being across the last 30 years because his on-screen presence in cinema has been this constant when was the last time there was a really shit tom cruise movie I've got, I've got to be honest, my brain goes to like, um, what was the film he was in? Was it no, not Pineapple Express? The one with Robert Downey Jr. in blackface. Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, that's the one. Rock of Ages. I uh, quite like that, but then that is the music I grew up listening to. I, I was going to say, it's all, it's all big hair and wind machines, isn't it? Yep, I've got no problem with that. So one thing I think we do need to just touch on with Top Gun Maverick because we are the auto movie podcast um, that was a weird place to put the emphasis on on that word is the camera work because I think there's going to be a lot of people looking at this and there are going to be interviews for the next 20 years where people say we watched Top Gun Maverick and then we did this or that's what we wanted to do because we've had like, what is it now? Nine Fast and Furious films of increasing stupidity. But none of them had the same visceral feel to them as as Top Gun Maverick has. And that's going to be a big legacy for it. None of them had the clean action where you always know what's going on at any one moment. None of this was edited to within an inch of its life. You could always tell what was happening where. You knew the geography of everything, which is very difficult when you're dealing with three dimensions, you know, uh, when you're dealing with height as well as... um, you know, forwards and backwards and so on and all that kind of thing. You've you've got that extra extra axis to, to work with. And I think that's a mark of Joseph Kaczynski and the the team that he and Tom Cruise brought in to do this, that they were mm. able to make all that work. And I think you're right. I think you're going to see this and Mad Max Fury Road be cited for decades to come as this is what we looked at when we wanted to make an action movie. Now, lots of movies are going to cite these as inspirations and are going to deliver unoriginal dreck. Yep. But there are going to be some movies that take what these two films have done and run with it. And that's why I'm optimistic about the Brad Pitt, Joseph Kaczynski F1 film, that some of that 
idea, some of that knowledge, some of that experience can get put into, literally, into an F1 car. Imagine if they do another Grand Prix where they literally get a real Mm. F1 car, not some bullshit Formula 3 car or something made on a space frame. They get a real F1 car. They somehow get Liberty and the teams on board and say, we're just going to nail an IMAX camera to the front of your car, Max. Is that all right? We're not. We're also not going to let. We're just. That's going to be the race now because you're so good and your cheaty car is so good. We're going to give you the weight penalty of half a ton of IMAX equipment. Let's see you beat your teammate there now without team orders. What's the Mission Impossible film where Tom Cruise climbs up the Burj Khalifa? Uh, that's the fourth one. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. So when they did that, they sh- they shot some or all of it in IMAX, and they shot the IMAX bits were on film. And they could only shoot four minutes of film at a time because that's all the the magazine and the camera could take. So basically the the helicopter went up, got four minutes of footage, came down, reloaded. So if we can put that on the front of Max's car and every four minutes he has to come into the pits for a film It's getting better and better. I'm in for... You can only imagine a few minutes, except it won't be Max, you know that, because Red Bull will go, I'm sorry, Sergio, the number two (laughs) driver has to carry the burden of wearing six tonnes of IMAX equipment. Um, But you know that, you you signed that in your contract. Anyway, let's stop making stupid (laughs) F1 jokes and get to the review for this week. And we're going to do something slightly different for this week's review, because we're going to choose a movie that is probably one everyone has seen, It doesn't feature the kind of car chases that we've covered in the past, but it is a really awesome movie that does feature vehicular mayhem. Uh, And that movie is (laughs) 1994's Speed. Shall I I do my best Barry Norman? Yes. Or before that, do you want to do what you're drinking? No, let's do that. So, uh, you go first. I am drinking, um, as Chris watched before we started this recording, the Glen Farkless single malt for a 21-year-old um, because uh, it's really tasty. Uh, and I was feeling cheap and didn't want to get the more expensive one. It's very good value. Glen Farkless is still owned by like the original family who who started the distillery. They're never like bought and sold and it's had all for, the stock for the quality of the for the quality of the whiskey. It's exceptional value, I think. So it's yes, really, really good. How about you? I I have got um, a bottle of, an independent bottle of Kleinleash uh, Sherry Wood, uh, which was a 15-year-old, and it was a wedding present from friend of the show, Jack Wood. So thank you, Jack. It's uh, it's very nice. Still going on that. That's nice. Cool. I've been right, in the let's... cupboard too long. And I, during lockdown, it was just like, oh, sod it. Just open things and drink things. That's the way to do it. Yeah, that's how everyone got through lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's, let's, let's talk about speed. So do you want to intro us to the movie that everyone has already seen and knows the plot of? I will. So 1994 Speed sees 90s buff heartthrob Keanu Reeves and Jeff Daniels as cops Jack and Harry foil a plot of baddie Howard Payne, played by Dennis Hopper, in great villain form. Once Howard doesn't get his ransom money, he attaches a bomb to a city bus, and then we get the famous Stay Above 50 section parodied far and wide since. The action is visceral, with Keanu Reeves doing many of his own stunts. The twists and turns of the thriller plot absolutely hold up throughout the duration, and Sandra Bullock is always a win. This is Jan de Bont's directorial debut, and his near-30-year career up to this point as a cinematographer is clear, including such credits as Die Hard and Lethal Weapon 3 before this as the stunts are well captured and the camera work is tight and conveys the, ahem, speed and danger of what's going on well. 
absolutely a modern classic which makes us all forget Speed 2 ever existed. <laughs> is that your best Barry Norman impression? And why not? Um, well, I kind of <laughs> which is something that Barry Norman never bit. said. <laughs> I know, you know, it's a Rory Bremner line colloquial English reference that. Yes, sorry for those of you in the US who have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. It's kind of like um, Siskel and Eber, isn't it? It is, although um, there is, and we'll have to put this in the show notes as well. I don't know if I sent this to you between shows. The um, the BBC have put Barry Norman's Top Gun review online. Oh, you've sent it to me. I haven't watched it yet. I really should go back and watch that. But yes, we thought you it'd be that, really... I'll watch the film. Yeah, we thought it'd be really interesting to go back and look at Speed as one of those movies like Top Gun that had such mm. astonishing word of mouth. This, I remember, came out of nowhere when I was... Uh, college, I think, and a friend of mine just came to me one morning and said, I went to the cinema last night and saw this movie called Speed. I don't even think we'd seen a, like a trailer or anything or a poster even. He just said, you have to go and see this. This is amazing. And everybody went to the cinema based on word of mouth and it just kept building mm. and building and going and going and going. And okay, Top Gun Maverick has had like the biggest lead up in history and so on, but the word of mouth has been as strong. It's been exactly the same feeling of people coming to you and saying, yeah, you've read, you, you, you know, the hype is real. It's absolutely a, a brilliant cinematic experience. And speed for that was, was that for me. I can remember being in the movie theatre thinking, I have no fucking clue how this is going to end and wondering <laughs> what they were going to do next. But yes, there's, there's a, there is a bunch of auto movie style stuff in this because this is one of the movies I remember seeing um, stunt drivers credited in. Right at the very start, there's um, there's a huge list of them being being credited in the credits at the end because not only are people obviously doing stunt driving for the bus, but there's all of the other cars that are on the freeway that are being driven around the bus. The the people that did the jag when when um, Keanu jumps into the guy's jag, steals it, and then hops onto the bus. That's all being done by stuntmen, and that's that's a wonderful scene. There's all this kind of stuff around the periphery that you don't really really realize when you watch the film for the first time how many people it took to make all that stuff look real and in a in an era where everything is is uncanny valley and cgi and fast and furious veers between very unconvincing cgi and eye-popping action <laughs> it's really nice to go back and watch something that is just all done in camera or all done with traditional filmmaking and special effects techniques. So models and editing and forced perspective and all of the standard... Yeah, a little bit, no doubt. But not the kind of, I will just model the bus and and, Mm. jobs are good and that you would get now where they wouldn't even bother trying to attempt jumping a bus. Talk to me about how this was put together. Well, um... Oh, that's put me on the spot. I wasn't uh, wasn't ready. <laughs> I do have some. I do have some speed facts. For example, it was offered to Quentin Tarantino to direct, and he turned it down, which would have been a very interesting film. Oh Lord, I don't think I'd want that. Also, Joss Whedon did an uncredited script pass on it. Very famously, this was written by Graham Yost, who went on to do uh, the Deadwood TV series and my favourite TV series, Justified. But he'd kind of made it quite serious and plotty. And at the last minute, um, Yanderbont brought on a then very young 
Joss Whedon to do a script polish that ended up being like a 95% dialogue rewrite. And Whedon is credited with giving the movie almost all of the quotable lines. The pop quiz hotshot, that's Whedon. I think almost all of the lines that Alan Ruck's character has that are sort of deadpan and make you laugh, all of those are, it's a vintage Whedon, but he's not in the credits at all. And no, no. without without that, the movie I don't think would be anywhere near as memorable. But yes, are the other the other people considered for the role that Keanu Reeves ended up taking up the the role that I think set him down this path of being an action hero and having like three or four separate action hero franchises almost. They were considering Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and all the other Toms. Tom Wesley Hanks, Sn- yeah, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, yeah. Um, but yeah. ultimately. Uh, the director, Jan de Bont, cast Keanu because he saw him in Point Break, where I can see why they went, yep, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be... He, he He's going to be a star, and he's not your traditional action star. It, it's also quite weird to think about the timeline of Keanu Reeves, because, I mean, how long before this was Bill and Ted, where he's a, obviously a very, very different character? But then he kind of went through that, like I say, that 90s heartthrob stage... Before kind of going almost a bit quiet and then coming back out as the scrub bush and SpongeBob and Jack Reacher, I realise those are two very different extremes of his uh, his acting range. But he does play what? a very good. Have you not watched the uh, SpongeBob SquarePants movie? No. See, you haven't seen Top Gun, a classic, and then you bring SpongeBob fucking SquarePants. It's it's surprisingly it's good. It's a movie. Also, I have, I have a small child in the house. Yes, true. I don't always get but to the, choose. I think John Wick is what kind of what brought him back into the action fold. Uh, but he'd gone, Apart he'd gone and made obviously the Matrix. But then after the the, the, the Matrix, the original yeah. Matrix trilogy, yeah, yeah. he basically went quiet for what felt like decades, and then brought back with John Wick, which is this kind of lo-fi, dark action thriller that's become a franchise on its own. Um, but this movie, Speed, I think, was where you first saw him do action hero and do it his way, not the Stallone, not the Arnie, super quippy, muscle-bound gym rat, but. Keanu's own way of doing things. And I really, really like him in this movie. This is one of those movies where if you change almost any of the major cast parts, it doesn't work for me. So like yes. Back to the Future or Ghostbusters, it feels like if you swap Keanu or Sandra Bullock or Dennis Hopper, none of it works. And the joy of it is is all of that. But the joy of it is also the bus stuff. The, the car chases you want to talk about, they they find so many ways to make a bus travelling at 50 miles an hour look exciting. <laughs> and that is a hell of a lot harder than it sounds. And I think this is down to the director, Jan de Bont, being a cinematographer first. So Jan de Bont very famously mm. was the cinematographer for Die Hard, amongst other things, and as you said, Lethal Weapon 3. And he made his directorial debut, I think, with Speed. And you can see the whole thing is shot with a cinematographer's eye. He has mm. an eye for camera placement. I think about the the shots of Keanu Reeves going underneath the bus to try and fix the bomb. Yes. Which is... I was about to say that, it's, yeah. I, in the cinema, that had you on the edge of your seat sweating. And it it works in a way that I've not seen stuff done similarly, you know, where truck chases and so on. It reminded me of Spielberg doing the same thing with Jewel. 
finding ways of shooting a, a big object like a truck or a bus that, that mm. emphasizes the side of it, the size of it and the danger of it and the speed of it. Uh, sorry, that's a terrible but unintentional it, pun. Oh, uh, indeed. <laughs> but even when Keanu jumps in his Jeep and he goes chasing after the bus, and you know, when he's weaving in and out of traffic, the fact that he's doing that with the camera car right behind him, you know, you're not seeing it from a distance. You're not seeing it from a helicopter. You're right there in it with him. And there's so many points. And even things like the opening scenes with the um, with the lift shaft, you know, everything is tight and claustrophobic. I think the cinematography of it sells the drama. And I think one other thing that I think is... I think is really to its to its credit, although it's not on the on the car side of things, is that point of when you watch it, and even now when I was watching it, there's always the next thing. There's always like the next spanner in the works. There's always that thing they just ratchet it up a little bit more and It's what worked for me in the cinema was that that thing of going and going and going. On that point of you really feeling it, this is where that link with Top Gun Maverick comes in, in that Keanu Reeves did most of these stunts. So the jump from mm. him jumping from the Jaguar onto the bus, he did for real and terrified the director who was convinced he was going to run over his movie star <laughs> and get shut down forever. And he rehearsed it in secret without telling the director. And so Jesus. when they did it, it's him doing that. And it shows. And, you know, whenever he rolls under the bus on that little trolley, that's Keanu Reeves doing that for real. Okay, they will have made it safe and some of the shots will be a stuntman. But... Well. He as safe sells as they it. Could make, yeah. yeah. And that's the same way Cruise works. And it's why John Wick works, because you're seeing Keanu Reeves really doing all that gunplay and really doing all the stunts with his stunt team. And it's the same mm. way why the Maverick works, because you're seeing actors really doing these things. And this is kind of what we're missing from cinema in an era of CGI face replacement and the ability to you can realize anything realistically speaking um that i felt this was just a, both of these movies for me just they have this through line of just sticking it on the screen and making you buy it and making you believe it mm. by putting the people in there and okay the famous bus jump is not physically possible <laughs> let's not kid about the gap itself is one of the uses of cgi so I think yeah. that the, they were using an unopened um, bit of freeway and there wasn't a gap there. So that was CGI. That's the best use of CGI when you don't realise and don't notice because it's done seamlessly. Yeah. But, you know, they've used a light bus and they used a ramp and they have a, a, like a simulated drop so that the bus doesn't have to actually gain height. It's It can kind of just have the gravity affecting it and I can remember watching the cinema and kind of you suspend your disbelief for that because you know damn well like in um, Dukes of Hazard and in any other movie that has a car jumping you know that when it lands it's bananaing itself and never moving again <laughs> it's the um, Starsky and Hutch outtake yes where they, you know, cr the, they, they literally where crumple the car <laughs> so right apparently for the bus jump as you say um it was a stunt bus. The driver's seat was moved back 15 feet so that if something went wrong, the driver wasn't ejected from the bus. <laughs> There's an interesting risk assessment. Um, the bus was modified so it could go faster. It started a mile back and accelerated towards the ramp. Apparently, they got the first stunt wrong and they had to do it again with the second bus. When it hit the ramp, it was doing 61 miles an hour. The bus travelled 109 feet and its front wheels reached an altitude of 20 feet. 
because it was higher than expected and it went further than expected. If you watch it, the bus actually goes out of frame at the top because the cameras were just pointing in the wrong place. I think that's a happy accident. It it, it feels more real that than if they'd mm. perfectly framed it. And I know what you mean. And I'm fairly sh- certain that there's a shot where it pretty much lands on a camera and destroys it in that way that you yeah. would these days with a GoPro in a box or something like that, where... But that was probably like a really expensive Ariflex or something. <laughs> also, one thing I love about it is that when they digitally erase the um, the bit of bridge that was actually there, to kind of sell the effect, they had birds flying through the gap, which I think is a brilliant, like clever little touch that you would probably have picked up on subconsciously. Um, one other stunt that I love is the bit where the bus pulls off the freeway and it hits just a series of like water butts or something or water barriers or whatever those things were around the outside. Yeah, I, just, I know the one you Apparently, mean. Apparently, the bus would basically travel about 25 feet after hitting each one because it just didn't have the power to keep going after bursting them all. So they basically had to keep backing the bus up, hitting the next one, backing it up, hitting the next one. I'm not surprised. This is editing this is, and sound. This is basically the equivalent of an Arriva buses thing, you know, taking people to school. <laughs> it's got no, uh, yeah, it, it's got talk to get you from naught to 30 miles an hour. And that's exactly. about your lot. So I, <laughs> I, I, it's totally understandable. But um, yes, but yeah, one the, other thing I want to mention is once they're out onto the, um, the runway, uh, the plane that the bus hits and, and, and explodes is actually yeah. decorated with the livery from the truck that rolls into Nakatomi Plaza from Die Hard. <laughs> it's the same company. Oh, wow. Because, you know, cinematographer then becomes the director, so they use the same... Uh, it's called Pacific something or other. I forget the, I forget the exact... Um, I'd have to look that one up, but I know it's the same company. Oh, fantastic. But, yeah, I, I've got to say... Having that, those scenes where they've got the bus and the platform that's pulled alongside it and getting those two so close that they can move, obviously, I'm guessing probably stunt people between the two of them. I think we get so used to big stunts that actually doing something like that is surprisingly difficult. And isn't there a scene where there's one bit where that platform like pulls away from the bus and oversteers or something... Yeah, there's, something else? there's there's lots of scenes where... Oh, Pacific Courier, that's the name of them. Uh, sorry, that took a long time. There's lots of <laughs> scenes like that where I think the, it, the whole... F- it feels like it was practically just made on a wing and a prayer. The budget was mm. quite small for the time, 30-ish million dollars. And Blimey. it went on to gross $350 million worldwide. Fifth grossing film of 1994 and winning two wow. Academy Awards for, for editing and sound, and then they never made a sequel, and everyone looked at it as, as a perfect little standalone action movie. <laughs> That's the best way to look at it. It is. I, I, would, I would say, go back and watch it again, because obviously we're focused on, on the middle bit, and you forget that the bus isn't the entire film. It's like that's the bit that everybody knows. But actually, the bit beforehand is good the bit with the um the subway car afterwards and how they get to the subway car again has that thing of i can't remember who it was there was some famous writer and you might know better than me who said the way that he writes thrillers like this is he basically writes himself into a corner 
and then works out how he's going to get himself out of it. And there are scenes as you go through where it's just like, okay, well, what are they going to do now? How? What's the next thing? And then like Dennis Hopper turns up and does something evil, and you're like, oh, well, that was clever. <laughs> okay, so how's how's that? Yeah, gonna be, what I can see next? it effectively. I think it's it's that the pop quiz hotshot line you knew was going to come back. That was almost Chekhov's mm. Chekhov's quotable line. Um, Indeed, but yes, I, I think it's like I say, it's not normal auto movie podcast fair but i think the vehicular mayhem i love pronouncing that <laughs> justifies it in this case and it it's does. just a reminder to go back and watch a really brilliant action movie after you've gone to see another brilliant action movie in in <laughs> top gun maverick and they're not paying us i wish they were but they're not paying us we're just telling you because oh, we love movies so yes go and watch top gun maverick in the cinema and then come back and watch top gun because you know, you should do just the general that, that goes to you, Chris. <laughs> and then you should watch Speed because it's one of the best action movies of the nineties, and will remind you of of what it was like to watch these kind of movies when they still mm. made them. Because you, you thirty to forty million dollar action movies don't happen now. Like you say, no, Top Gun's budget was one hundred and seventy something million. So to, they've probably made their money back now, but only just. And I looked, I looked just before the podcast, Mavericks on. Something like seven hundred and eighty million dollars worldwide so far. Yeah. So that's probably made its money back plus the marketing recoup. But even so, <laughs> they'll have spent six hundred million dollars on it. So probably all in. Hollywood and Hollywood accounting will mean that it never actually really makes money for anyone who's <laughs> looking for course. a percentage of the net rather than a percentage of the gross. But there you go. Anyway, we've we've talked on long enough. Someone asked if we were going to mention Henry Catchpole on this week's episode. And yes, we are. I, in fact, I think I replied to them to say, yes, we always mention Henry because it's, it's in the, the rules. <laughs> it's the rules. <laughs> so, yes, what has Henry Catchpole been up to this week? Well, he and Carfection, with whom he works, have just hit 1 million subscribers on YouTube. Huge congratulations to the Carfection team and well, well deserved, whether it's Alex or um, was it James Collado. It's not James Collado, is it? Is it James Collado? No, James Collado is a Ferrari driver. Um, George, George Collado or Drew or any of the team because, I, it, it, you know, these things don't happen overnight. And, and they're not been, just done by one person, but yes, it's a huge, it's a huge milestone not. for them to hit. So massive congratulations. And... I guess the thing to highlight is he's recently done a, a video on a BMW E60 M5. No. Sorry. No. E61. Thank you. If we're going to be nerdy, do it properly. Shall we talk about the M5 E61 touring manual conversion? Yes, we can do. Which sounds <laughs> so, like a great thing, actually, because the thing that everyone levelled at the the E60 or E6X, if you want to be really nerdy, generation of... <laughs> Of M5, the V10 one, let's Touché. be honest. Um, yes. Is that that SMG2 box was less than good, especially when you compare it to a modern double clutch and so on. Lots of people then come back and go, I think you'll find if you lift off just as you pull the paddle, then you get acceptable shifting. <laughs> and to which I say, yeah, but that's tedious. You can, you can if you drive it like a manual where you lift off, but you're then, you don't know exactly when it's going to engage the clutch. And I get that that's part of the challenge. The E46 M3 CSL has the same um, accusations levelled at it. And, you know, the same people say the same things about treating it like it's actually a manual, but you're just pulling a paddle instead of moving moving a gear lever and, and using your left leg. But I love the idea of 
being able to get a conversion for one of these because all of a sudden it then gives you that little bit more interaction. And I think more and more people are starting to go, actually, you know, although this is a horrendous maintenance nightmare <laughs> and they can, <laughs> you know, the rod bearings and, and so on can go wrong and cost enormous amounts of money. No one's ever going to do a V10 estate car in a five, you know, a five series V10 estate car ever again. That's never going to happen because we're all going to be driving around in milk floats in 20 years time. So why not enjoy them while you can? So I think prices hit like you could get one for eight grand at one point, just a regular saloon. And now I think they've doubled again where people have gone, actually, know what? I always wanted an M5. I'm looking at them going, if I had reason to have one, I, I'd kind of consider it because I think they're wonderful. I love the way that 5 Series looks. Have you seen the Drive Tribe? They've now got a V10 Yes, they uh, have in, in well. blue that looks really nice and seems to be ex- incredibly healthy. I have seen the, the videos of them dynoing it and so on. Th- there was a great bit where Mike was showing somebody round the car and he, <laughs> he just goes, at one point he's just like, in the boot, he points at one of the wheel wells and goes, there were, now there was a bit of a fire here, but that's all fine now. Yeah. Oh, no, that's, that was it, because it was like a Cat D, I want to say write-off, I don't know if it was a write-off, but it was a Cat D something or other. There was a time there when was people a just... Of a fire. That's the thing, people weren't, because um, they're so expensive to fix, people were writing them off. That said, I know mm. there's a, there's um, someone who works for Top Gear, Mark Riccioni, who had one and had oh, loads God. of problems with it, and then it just burnt to the ground on the back of a truck at one point, <laughs> I seem to remember, or something like that had a hell of problems with it. Um, Jesus. But yes, there they... Is, there, there is currently one for sale. I'm just looking on all Is that a touring or just a, the, the, just a general... No, so this is a, a 20th anniversary saloon with... How many miles on it? Uh, 37,000 miles on it, which is oh. a tr- crying shame. That's, well, yeah, that's going to cost a bomb just for the mileage alone, isn't it? £65,000. Oh, get fucked. That's ridiculous. Um, if you've, got to really, t- you've got to have a lot of money that you don't mind wasting and really like <laughs> old 5 Series is for that. This is a conversion, though, isn't it? It's not a... Well, this is one of the nerdy, interesting things. I think you'll find... Everything M3s, which is now confusingly doing M5s, they convert the SMG. They basically take the robot off the SMG and you get the manual that's underneath. The American M5s, which were offered in a manual, were actually a different gearbox. So they were manual from the start, but with a different box that was kind of shoved in and apparently isn't brilliant. Shall we start talking about something else here? Because otherwise we'll just become the M5 Touring Podcast. But YouTube Pick of the Week, show and a channel. What's yours? So my video is partly because the name of the channel is brilliant. The, cha- the, the video is called The Making of the Fast and the Furious Saga Was a Shit Show. And if you're playing the drinking game, now is the time where you drink. <laughs> Shush. The channel is called It Was a Shit Show. <laughs> because every single video that they have which they do a mix of kind of podcast and kind of film documentary. So like the making of a Ghostbusters sequel was a shit show. The making of Casino Royale was a shit show. You get the, uh, you get the yeah, plot. Yeah, I watched this through. It's fascinating as mm. quite a lot of the material here is stuff I haven't seen, particularly when they pertain to talking about Fast 7 and how they dealt with the death of Paul Walker mid-production. And you get to see just how many shots from the movie and from the trailers 
with Paul Walker in them are not actually Paul Walker at all. They are his brothers and some extensive CG face replacement. There's loads of moments, way more. There are like I think they say in the thing that quite apart from yes, the making of these movies became a shit show because of all the egos involved. Um, but also just they say yes, there are some shots that you can call out and go, yeah, that's definitely CG. But for every yeah. one of those, there's fifty you don't even know that are CG. And this goes back to my point earlier about, you know, CG face replacement being so good that there are many, many shots that you'd assume it was the real actor that it isn't. And and this just takes it a step further. So I was fascinated to, to, to hear the stories of back and forth about who's in charge and who's, who thinks they're the big swinging dick, um, <laughs> particularly when it pertains to The Rock and um, Vin Diesel getting beef. Yes. And then, you know, all of that, it kind of discusses, although I think it gets to the end and, and says, everything is fine now, which I think <laughs> with the, the advent of Fast 10 losing its director and, and not entirely sure has gained another one yet, everything is not mm. fine now. But yes, it shows that these things, <laughs> I mean, it takes a hell of a lot to make these movies regardless. Uh, and oh, having God, to, yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like to have to wrangle all these egos all at once and a script and contracts that say that they can only land a certain number of punches and can never seem to be losing a fight, <laughs> plus all the stunts and so on. It just sounds like an absolute ball ache. So the fact that any of the movies make any sense whatsoever is frankly a miracle. They also have one on the making of Mad Max Fury Road as well, which I think will be well worth watch. But, I mean, I say this. You look through the catalogue, there are loads of films that you will find interesting in there, not yeah. you personally. They're quite just- long. I would say you need to set aside a bit of time if you're going to watch one of these. But this one is really, really fun if you've watched these movies and enjoyed them. What's your channel? So my channel is a guy called Dustin Williams, who, on the face of it... He's a good-looking bloke who can pedal a skyline with the best of them and fix it and modify it and do all of that sort of stuff. However, the reason why he it really sort of came to my attention was he's just come back from a two-week trip to Japan because there are loopholes where you can do these things. <laughs> and he's basically spent two weeks going round... So he bought an R34 Skyline, but then because of COVID, he'd never had a chance to go out and actually drive it. So he's like, he's going out and he's driving it. He's visiting those tuning shops we were mentioning earlier. You know, he visits the Nismo factory. But what I loved about them is he is incredibly nerdy about JDM cars anyway. He's going around these great shops where they you know they're they're just at this epicenter of that kind of jdm culture but then he's just so thrilled throughout the whole trip like every day is just amazing and everything he does is amazing and he's clearly just the happiest person in the world and i think whether you like jdm cars or not or whether you like the japanese car scene or not or whatever it's incredibly uplifting to see somebody who is just thrilled to be somewhere that he really wants to be driving cars he really wants to drive seeing things that he's wanted to see for ages and it's it's just lovely and it's infectious as well so dustin williams channel is great if you go and find his 
series from Japan from like a couple of weeks ago. So as we kind of so as we're recording this, it will be kind of May 2022. It's just lovely and it's well worth a watch. What are your YouTube picks? Well, I'm going to cheat and just do two videos because I don't have a channel for this time. Um, and since we've been talking, you know, about amazing action movie stars and so on, I want to talk about Kevin Estre, who has yes. nothing to do with any of those things. Uh, but but he's also, also frustratingly good looking. Yeah, it, it, we've come off the back of the previous weekend, the Nürburgring 24 hours. And then this weekend, just gone, we've had him driving in Le Mans in GTE Pro for Porsche. Um, so I've got a couple of videos here. Um, and I owe both of these to friend of the show, uh, Chris Frew, who sent me the Kevin Estre Born on the Racetrack, a mini documentary. It's about seven minutes long that just talks through some of Kevin's mindset and, and what motivates him to push himself and the car the way he does. Because for my money right now, he is the most exciting driver in any GT Porsche. Yep. Whenever he's in the car, things happen. And there's only one way to illustrate that. And this is my second video, which is a video from the 2021 Nürburgring 24 Hours, which they won, where he goes from P11 to P1 in two laps. In the GT3 field as well. This isn't like the Sabine video where he was... No, he's not. It's, 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 like, it's, it's not quite like his GT3 versus GT4s, but some of the moves and the, the speed he can carry in on the brakes and some there's a couple of really filthily cheeky overtakes where he dummies them one way and then just slides this massive... And let's not forget, these cars are wide things with big old slicks and big wings on the back. And he's basically yep. just dancing this Grello Porsche around on the Nordschleife which let's also not forget is not wide it's narrow and dangerous and in places on these laps it's soaking wet like through the foxhole coming out of, of Arenberg into the foxhole it's sodden and watching how he knows when to hold back and how he knows when to attack it's mesmerizing watching someone so in tune with the car and every time he gets in the car he's 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 been a he's been a star to watch since he did the record qualifying lap in a McLaren 12C years and years ago mm. before he started driving for Porsche, and I just cannot recommend this documentary. It's eight minutes long. It's by a guy called Robert Bingham who has 133 subscribers. So if you like this, maybe what? give him a subscribe. Yeah, it's, oh, yes. it's really cool. And then go and watch this, uh, the uh, P11 to P1 in the 24 hours of Nürburgring. It's on Sebastian Vittel's channel, not Vettel, Vittel, who is a, a Nürburgring personality uh, and, and quite a good driver in his own right. It's just some of the most mesmerising on board. And I, I've said before, I don't watch Nürburgring on boards that much anymore because I'm kind of, particularly when it's not race car stuff, it, it's all kind of much of a muchness. Uh, but this is one you just can't tear your eyes away from what he's doing with the car and how he's making a field full of some of the most talented Nordschleifer GT3 drivers look ordinary and he does mm. that every time he's in any Porsche so I, I'm going to highly recommend those if you didn't catch him driving in last uh, last week's N24 or in this week's um, Le Mans 24 then check this stuff out and maybe you can go onto YouTube and, and find stuff from previous years I think he is the one who did the overtake that was shot from the helicopter where he basically just lobs the car onto the grass on the Dottingerhoa um, yep. because there's a car in the way and there's not enough room so what do you do well you just go on the grass around them don't you wasn't, wasn't that a bit like the um, the famous Schumacher Hakkinen overtake on Zonta except 
rather than just like dodging around the other side of him is Kevin Estrange it's just like... It's a full, 180 miles an hour, two wheels on the grass. Send. It's 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 a full send, absolutely. He's that guy. And, and I, the other thing I would say is, I think I've probably cited this one at least twice on the podcast before. If you haven't seen it, the Porsche Endurance documentary also yes. gives you a really good insight into Kevin Estrange's mindset and how he goes racing and how his teammates view him as ever so slightly crazy. <laughs> so please check those out and uh, and and let us know what you think. Uh, which brings us to the end of this particular episode of the Auto Movie Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please share the podcast with your friends. That's all we ask: is send them a link. You know, maybe retweet a tweet of ours, or or let them know about the podcast in some way so that we can spread the word and tag at Auto Movie Pod in your tweets so we see it and we'll give you a shout out. We we really appreciate everyone who engages with us who who responds to us who sends us emails it's awesome knowing you're out there you're listening to our drivel and you haven't turned off yet so thank you all so so much please if you haven't shared the word yet please do uh, because it does make a big difference to broadening our audience out so with that pop quiz hotshot you're on a bus (laughs) going 50 miles an hour the bomb is armed if it drops below 50 it blows up what do you do (laughs) 